Daniels, he's going to keep. He's going to walk into the end zone. Here comes one to the cup. Left-hand layup good. Kansas is the 2023 WNIT champions. This is the Jayhawker Podcast, presented by the University of Kansas Health System. Welcome to another edition of the Jayhawker Podcast. It's a huge week for us coming off the monumental victory Saturday in the booth against the top 10 ranked Oklahoma Sooners. And Wayne Simeon and I are so excited to welcome our guests. We had Andy Colton Nicky on a couple of weeks ago. Now we got the other side of the ball. Brian Borland has joined us on the Jayhawker Podcast, brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. Coach Borland, welcome to the Jacker Podcast. Thank you very much, guys. It's a pleasure to be on with you. How does it feel just top of the world right now after the bye week coming off a disappointing fourth quarter against Oklahoma State? You had two weeks to stew on that and just be frustrated. And you put all that energy into the game on Saturday bad weather, everything was going against you, and guess who came through in the end? The defense. Talk about Saturday and how proud you are of your guys. Well, you're right. I, I'm, I am really proud of our, of our, of our guys, our, really our whole team. Um, you know, there's, there probably been a lot of opportunity and, and uh, reason and, you know, past history where we would have, you know, maybe not been able to come back like we did and, and kind of, you know, kind of fold up and, you know, say, yeah, man, well, that was a good game. You guys played them close, but you know, uh, you know, this time I think was just a little bit different. I kind of had a sense that uh, I knew we were going to, I knew we were going to show up and be ready to play and uh, just could, could feel it through the week of preparation and just the focus of our players. So um, they were really determined. And again, uh, there's, there's a lot of ebb and flow in that game, but uh, I thought we, we kept it things pretty steady and and pretty positive throughout and uh, were able to, yeah, uh, at the end, when it when it came uh, came time, we certainly didn't blink, and we stepped up to the plate and competed well. Well, Wayne and I are long timers. Obviously, been around a long time, and we just, you know, it was thirty three to thirty two. We had thrown that interception. We're like, here we go again. And I know I thought that, and I'm sure most of our fan bases, and we're kind of out of that mold of we're, we're done with moral victories. That would have been a moral victory, but you guys have taken such a different. You've taken this program to the next level where moral victories aren't worth it anymore. And all you did was take a high-powered offense and made them go three and out. They had a below-average punt, and then the offense took over. But talk about your message to the defense after the Jason Bean interception. And, And all they had to do was get one first down, and it's over. Yeah, right. And we knew we had all our our first down our timeout. So I know we could, you know, if we could stop them, we could, you know, we could legitimately have a chance to get the ball back. So, you know, uh, we always talk in our room. I'm I'm sure we probably do on both sides of the ball. You know, we just one of the things is you just have to respond and uh, you know respond positively. You just you you can't control what the circumstances are when you got to go play. And and so you know whatever they are. We got to respond in a positive way, and hey, we knew we had to stop them. We quite honestly, we we sold out to stop them. If you noticed when we were playing defense out there, there wasn't anybody back deep beyond five yards of the line of scrimmage. So uh, we threw all our eggs in that basket that they were going to run it. We were going to stop them, and and we were able to do it. So 
um, you know, that was that was really encouraging. And then obviously, you know, again, for our offense to basically go 80 yards and in a short time and without any timeouts and get the ball in the end zone with, uh, you know, I was nervous because there was like 50 seconds left. So I said, man, you know, there's a lot can happen. We know in 50 seconds. So uh, and then sure enough, you know, they did hit that, you know, really the one long pass, which was, you know, a little bit fluky, but that's that's it. And, you know, then we again, we still got to keep playing and respond and we, we practice some last second defensive calls uh, every week. Uh, we we go through them. And I know that myself sometimes and our players start thinking about, well, why are we doing this? We're never going to use these things. Well, sure enough, the last two plays, we used them. And, uh, and uh, you know, they work for us on the, you know, they work for us and we were able to keep them out of the end zone. Oh, that's so timely and, and perfect that you got a chance to use those plays. And, you know, a lot of attention is going towards uh, that last defensive stop that you guys had. But how about the start that you guys got us off to? Uh, with the pick six right out of the gate. And, and it seems to me that when the defense gets off to, to a quick start, whether it's a quick three and out or, or some quick physicality in that first series, it really sets the tone uh, for the entire game. So talk about the starts of your defense and how important those are. Yeah, well, again, again, the things that we talk about all the time are we just we have to have a, a fast start. We have to start well. I don't know that Oklahoma had been stopped all year long in their first drive. Um, so, you know, the fact that we were able to not only stop them, but put points on the board at the same time is uh, I think is, it was huge. I think it, you know, obviously we're our team and every team kind of feeds off of, you know, momentum and, and the confidence building situation. So I'm glad we were able to do that. And again, I would give credit to our players and, uh, Melo Dotson for, you know, we we know what kind of a team they are. We know what kind of uh, plays they run. That was kind of that RPO play where they have a running play. But, uh, um, you know, he pulled the ball, wanted to throw. We know what kind of routes they're going to run. So he was able to kind of jump on that hitch throw that they threw out there and uh, and uh, haul it in and return it. So, yeah, that was a that was a huge start for us. And, you know, Melo didn't get many more plays in that game. He got, he got hurt about four or five plays later. So he only played seven plays, but that was, that was, a, that was one of those seven was certainly pretty key. As far as his injury go, do you expect to see him in Ames? I do. Yeah, he's off there today. So I, I'm, I'm anticipating that he'll be, uh, he'll be ready to go. So. So our guest today is Brian Borland, defensive coordinator for your all eligible Kansas Jayhawks. And, uh, you know, all throughout the, the off season, I think so many people knew what we had coming back on offense. We knew that we had all of our skill guys, our running backs, everybody was back. Line was going to be great. And the big question mark was probably the defense, right or wrong. That was probably the narrative. And so far, in my opinion, as good as the offense have been, has been, the defense is what has really carried us to that sixth victory season thus far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with you. And I, and I, well, I can't disagree with you or, or, you know, what the, what the probably the thinking was going into it. Cause you know, by and large, we, we didn't play to a, a satisfactory level and um, you know, we just have a thing on defense. We kind of, it's a little motto, you know, being a, being the strong link. And I don't, I think we were the kind of the weak link of the deal last year and too many times at least. So, uh, you know, we, so we got to be a strong link kind of unit that, no matter what what's going on in the game, good, bad, or otherwise, you, you always have a chance to win because the defense is always keeping you in the game. So, um, you know, we haven't we struggled to do that in the past, and and by and large this year, you know, we we haven't always played, you know, 
awesomely. Um, you know, particularly a, a couple of our losses haven't been great, but we found a way to keep ourselves in the game. So, um, you know, that's that's what we, what we know we need to be. And, um, you know, we're, we're certainly playing better in a lot of ways. We're, we're, we've still got a huge amount of progress that we can make. But, uh, um, you know, it's been encouraging just the, the, the confidence that guys have and the, the way they go about their business on a daily basis is, is encouraging. And, and I know that, you know, we're, we're seeing improvement and obviously yeah, there's, there's always more out there that we're reaching for, but I, I'd like to think that we're going to continue to progress in a positive way. Now, we had a pretty unique variable uh, that came into the equation uh, during Saturday's game, uh, that being the rain delay. Uh, we haven't seen one of those in, in quite some time. What, how does a coach look and view uh, a rain delay uh, strategically? Is it a time where you uh, can really make adjustments um, in the moment? You still had six minutes left in that first half. Oklahoma had some momentum there offensively, uh, kind of gashing us in the middle uh, for a few plays. Uh, what was that time like uh, for you and your staff and, and, and the defense in the locker room during that that untimely delay? Well, it's sort of like halftime. I think that's kind of how we looked at it, um, but with a little bit longer. Um, yeah, you're right. They had they had kind of got us on a couple plays right before that that we were hadn't really seen or that way, and so we were scrambling a little bit trying to get on top of the you know the schematics of how we got to you know defend some of those plays. So. We met together. We kind of meet together as a staff, defensive staff. Quick, we we go over some of those kind of things. Try to find some answers. Get with our players. Convey convey that information to our players. But I know that about every every five or ten minutes, our strength staff would come rolling through, and they would make them get up and and stretch and or and uh, move around, and so to kind of keep loose. So we had you know we had a little bit of time, and uh, but it was it was kind of like halftime. Well. Uh, I don't know how 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 effective that was because they came right out of the gate and hit us for two quick scores right out of right out of the rain delay. So, um, but again, they they probably had a little bit of time also, and they they had a couple schemes that uh, that we hadn't seen and really had to adjust to, which we did. As after that point, we uh, we did some things a lot better. So that's kind of what it is. It's it's uh, what are they doing? What do we have to do? Get that message to our players. Try to keep them loose. That's that's what we did. So we had Coach K on a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was fun. We we asked him, uh, and it's been quite timely with all the things going on within college football as far as communication. So I want to ask you to give uh, our, our listening audience and Wayne and I a, a bit of a preview of what a really long call would be when you call down to the defense, you know, four right, zebra, balloon, niner, six, whatever. I want to hear one of those. And then I also want to get your opinion on why hasn't college football gone to the microphone in your captain's helmets and how much would you like that to happen? Yeah, well, I can guarantee our calls aren't as long as the offenses are. So um, <laughs> I've, uh, I, I, I look at sometimes I see what our offensive calls are and I, I have no idea what, what, any play even means. I said, I, I give credit to our players for being able to figure that out and for our quarterback to be able to say all those words in a, in a huddle accurately. So um, defensively, it's, we try not to make it quite so complicated. Um, we, we, uh, I would, you know, it's a good thing that you ask because, you know, Oklahoma was a really fast paced team, you know, and they're snapping the ball every, you know, 12, 15 seconds when they're really humming along. So, uh, we have some calls that can get long, particularly some of our pressures and things like that. Like we might have a call that's called uh, 
tail arrow blue peel. So we're setting our front to the tail back. We're running an arrow blitz and blue is our coverage and peel tells the DNs they have to cover the back if he goes out. So, but like in on Saturday, we, we simply, we, sh we paired tail arrow blue peel down to arrow and uh, we just signal arrow and they'd have to know what it all means. They got to know all the words as part of that call. So um, that was a way that we thought with that uh, one of the keys for us was, we got to be able to get lined up against these guys because they're just going fast. And I think they're counting on you not being able to get lined up. So we were able to do that. Um, we were able to do that well. And so we, we took all of our calls that we have and there was no call that we use. That was more than two signals worth. So, um, so. And I then on the other, the, the other part of that, like, you know, with all the stuff going on with, with some other schools and the trouble they've gotten themselves in, would, would having a microphone, but you having access to the team captain, the defensive captain, how much would you like that? Well, I think there's part of that that you would like. However, I, I would we'd still need to work out the dynamics of, you know, like most teams, offensive teams, they don't huddle. So, you know, like a team like Oklahoma that's snapping the ball at a high rate of speed, you know, now it's it's almost more cumbersome for that because if you're telling one guy what the call is, He's got to communicate to everybody else and we can't huddle up on defense because because the offense never huddles up. So um, so there's some of that stuff, I think, that would still have to be worked out in in, in my mind. Yeah, you'd like to be able to give a, a guy a call. And then, quite honestly, if you've got till 15 seconds on the play clock before the microphone shuts off, you know, offense comes out in a formation, you can you can probably, you know, tell some things to them about formation or what to expect or checks that need to be made. And, but uh, you know, for an offense that's running at a high tempo rate, I don't really know how telling one guy what the call is, is, is going to be that much of a benefit, at least for, for the defense, if that makes sense to you. Sure. Sure. Well, well, coach in hearing uh, some of your simplified defensive plays, I think it's clear uh, what side of the ball Greg and I will be playing on if we were <laughs> uh, to play football uh, to keep it pretty simple for, for guys like us. With, with, that's with that's, basketball that's what we got to do, man. We got we got to be able to keep it simple, and so we can play fast. That's the whole yeah. idea. If we got to do too much, if we got to do too much thinking. It's going to slow us down. So we're going to get our cleats in the ground and play fast. So even if we do it wrong, if we're playing fast, we can make something good happen. Yeah, we used to, to play calls like Coach Self, thumb up, five up, cheek, eye, neck, all, all those types of simplified plays. But uh, yep. one thing that I'm also interested in hearing from you, who's been the biggest surprise uh, for you on defense? Of course, uh, I think we had high expectations coming into the year with the, with the secondary. Um, I know personally it's been great seeing your edge rushers, uh, Jeremy Robinson, Austin Booker. Who's the, who's the number nine on the field that I think doesn't get nearly enough credit? Of course, Jason Bean, number nine on the offensive side of the ball, has been uh, incredible. Uh, but it's been great seeing those guys uh, come along on the edge. But for you personally, who has been uh, the biggest surprise for you uh, on the defensive side of the football? Well, if I had to pick one guy, I think you said him already. Uh, Austin Booker's probably a, a big surprise. Um, you know, he had not really played a lot of football prior to this year. He had been, you know, two years up at Minnesota and redshirted and and just played bits and pieces uh, uh, up there and um but uh and and you know we really needed a you know a dynamic piece on our edge uh you know losing what we did last year so uh he's really he's really filled in that role uh he's you know you've you've seen him he's super long really uh explosive for his for you know he's not the he's got decent weight but he's not like a heavyweight kind of a player 
but he's got really strong hands and really a lot of power. And uh, he's been really dynamic and, and uh, you know, just getting more and more confident as we go along. So, which he's probably our, you know, he is, he's our most productive player in our defensive front, defensive line. So in terms of things he's able to do. So I think he really causes problems for offenses. As I talk to opposing coaches once in a while, everybody brings his name up. Hey man, this dude, you know, he's, he's something else. And, and so he's, He's got a long way to go yet also because, you know, he's he's still a somewhat inexperienced football player. But in terms of just being able to make some things happen, um, he really he really wants to make plays. He's you know, I mean, there's there's guys that are do right guys and there are guys that are, you know, I'm going to make every play. And, and so he's got the I'm going to make every play mindset, which is outstanding because he does make a lot but uh just in terms of he's he's still got a ways to go in terms of getting it all figured out but uh, we certainly need him in there and he's been doing an awesome job well i know that you and coach leipold have been together forever and your jayhawker podcast our guest is brian borland the defensive coordinator of the kansas jayhawks and the the, the attitude's got to be our fan base is ecstatic we're bowl eligible but going into the season i'm sure you and your staff and your guys it wasn't just about being bowl eligible. It was about winning eight, nine, ten games. We're two-thirds of the way through, now six and two, go on the road after a monumental win against Oklahoma against a team that early on in the year, you kind of look like, well, Iowa State's down, but they've been playing some really good football. We're going to Ames, a place that we've struggled, and it's a night game. So talk a little bit about the Cyclones and the challenges that they bring to the table. Yeah, well, the number one challenge is always y yourself, right? And so we sometimes when we feel like we've played a, you know, played a good game and, you know, won a big game, if there's, you know, such a thing, we haven't always, we haven't really been able to follow that up all the time with a, with a back to backer and, and just continue the string. So, um, so that, I mean, that's, that's our challenge is to, is to, um, you know, every week is its own, it's its own you know, it's its own week, it's its own game. And, and so, you know, you're, you're focused on, on one thing that week it's, and it's happening on Saturday. So I don't think we should really treat one game bigger than the next. So, but uh, we haven't played well on the road, but honestly, and we just haven't been able to uh, keep our foot on the gas like we need to once in a while. So we're, we're on our guys about that this week. And I, I believe they're, you know, kind of accepting that challenge. I think they know the same thing. So, but you're right. Iowa State was. I watched them early in the year against Ohio on TV, and I thought, man, they didn't look so good, you know. And um, but uh, since that time, they've they've really kind of found it. They're a pretty pretty young team overall, and uh, think they're just getting better, kind of really figuring out what they can do and how to do it. And I kind of look at them like uh, Oklahoma State, you know, that's uh, that's just kind of getting in a groove as they go along, and maybe even Kansas State a little bit. So um, you know, so they're now. <laughs> I mean, we're not making any kind of assumptions about what kind of who they are and, and what they're going to bring to the table. That's going to be all we want and more probably. So um, we know we're going to have to play our absolute best, particularly, you know, going up there. And, uh, you know, the, I think that I remember from the last time up there a couple of years ago, they got a pretty raucous crowd and, um, you know, they're pretty into it. And uh, we weren't even in the game last time we went up there. I think they beat us by about 50 points. So um, so we uh, we got to go up there and, and we got to be our best or we're probably not going to win. One thing Wayne and I know is going to Ames, Iowa, the Cyclone faithful does not like us. They don't like basketball. They don't like football. They're an angry bunch. And it will be 
a hostile environment and give them credit. They show up to everything. I mean, when, when, when Iowa State's playing, you know you're going to get their best shot. You bet. You bet. Well, why would you want it any other way, right? That's hopefully right. what you sign right. up for and what you what you want to do. Okay. So, um, and I like your compare. I like your comparison to Oklahoma State because I thought the exact same thing. You know, we saw Oklahoma State lose to South Alabama at home by 26 points, and you're like, okay, we're going to go down there and we're going to get a win. We're not used to winning down there, and saw what happened. And the same thing with Iowa State, as you mentioned, Ohio, and I was watching the same thing, and I'm like, okay, we know Matt Campbell's a great coach, and He'll definitely have them ready. We've got to bring our A game. Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels between our programs, quite honestly. You know, how how we how we approach things and uh, you know, um, you know, you know, we're probably not their team and our team, we're probably not laden with five star guys and you know, all those kind of things. So, you know, we gotta it's it's about uh, hard work and development and um, you know, and hopefully good coaching and and you know, putting a good product on the field that's gonna compete. And so we need to do that. And like I said, it's if if we're not if we're not at our best in any way, it's going to be real tough to beat those dudes. So um, so excited to go back and see what we can do and see if we can follow up a, a big win with another one. Well, coaching, you mentioned five stars there just a little bit earlier. One of the best things, uh, best outcomes that happened on Saturday were all the eyeballs uh, on us. Whether it was from the big noon kickoff game day uh, show that was there, of course, a, a sold out stadium. Uh, lots of recruits in the stands, and then on um, the upset alert, I, I can imagine the number of uh, TVs that got switched over to our game, uh, which gets recruits looking, which gets them interested. And so help us to understand, man, what kind of guys are you looking for as you're looking to build a sustainable program? Are you more of a system guy? Are you looking for the best athletes? What What's kind of your, your recruiting philosophy uh, now as I'm sure you have a lot more attention uh, on your defense uh, because of last week's results? Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm not saying we don't want five-star athletes. Now we do, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean? and, and I guess the more games you win and the bigger games you win, the 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 more attractive you you get. So uh, I, I do. I think it was good. You know, we 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 do a a pretty diligent job of recruiting. I think we've got a great recruiting staff that uh, that finds them and and we try to you know we're able to we're trying to establish a you know relationship and a rapport and and just get them interested in, in Kansas. Cause I think there's so much that KU has to offer. Uh, sometimes you just got to get a guy to a, a kid to look your way, you know, and, uh, and, and then they'll see it for themselves. So uh, that, that was the, that was the best recruiting tool ever, you know, is to, is to win a game like that. And cause you know, people, people recognize who you're, who you beat and their ranking and they understand all that stuff. So um, obviously that's, that's going to help. That's going to help us um, in terms of who we look for, you know, we, Obviously, I think we know kind of what we have now. Uh, I think there's there's some uh, you know, we're looking for the ideal ideal um, you know kids that are going to fit this kind of the system that we're in in certain ways. You know, we hey we'd like some uh, you know explosive length at defensive end. We need some we need some athletic big men in the middle. Uh, we need linebackers that are going to run sideline to sideline and play downhill. Uh, you know, obviously we need we need corners that can cover because we're asking them to do that a bunch and we need safeties that can do a little bit of everything. So uh, they're smart enough to run the defense. So, uh, um, you know, and so it's a it's a process that you got to that you really got to work through and sift through because, you know, you're not going to be for everybody. And quite honestly, everybody's not going to be for us. Um, you know, there's there's probably some people out there that, uh, you know, they've never been to Kansas, don't even probably know where it is on a map and just maybe not have any interest. But uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to attract the right kid. That's, that's willing to, 
give this a chance and buy into the in, into the program and into the philosophy of things. And and once kids are here, they they generally have a great experience. And uh, and then it's just easier to get the get the next one. You know, so we're we're on the hunt all the time. And, uh, you know, we we know that we're we're not the finished product yet. We've we've still got a ways to go defensively and probably team wise. So, uh, um, you know, we're always looking to improve. Well, great stuff. I appreciate your time. You know, Brian Borland, been with Coach Leipold since 2007, Wisconsin Whitewater to Buffalo, now in his third year at Kansas, doing an amazing job. Like I said earlier, the, the, the question marks about the defense were out there, whether true or false, but man, has he been able to get the guys on the same page and really appreciate your time today, Coach. I know we pulled you away from a coach's meeting that you said you were glad that we pulled you away, but we would much rather you go back and continue to, to strategize on how we're going to beat those pesky cyclones up in Ames on Saturday. So well, great appreciate you your time and uh, uh, go get them on Saturday. I appreciate it. Man. I, I love, I love to trying to put some things together here. That's going to, you know, hopefully going to give, put us in the best spot to win a game. So that's, that's certainly our goal fellas, but I appreciate you having me on and talking with me. It's a, uh, it's awesome. Great to get a chance to share a few things with you. Love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, and uh, Rock Chalk. You bet. That was Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator for the Kansas Jayhawks brought on the Jayhawk podcast, brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System and Black and Veach. Take ownership of your career, your future, and your career. Learn more at bv.com slash careers. When we come back, Wayne, our producer Wayne, has a couple of guys that are going to join us that aren't household names to any KU fans, but they will all know who these guys are when we come back. Jayhawker Podcast. I had this patient. His cancer treatment had him in the hospital for a while. One day, he was telling me about his grandson and how a big night was coming up for him. So we arranged to make it a big night for my patient, too. I sometimes wonder if I'm doing all I can. Then I help make a moment like this possible, and I know I am. Welcome back to the Jayhawker Podcast, coming off a historic homecoming weekend uh, with a huge upset win over number five and undefeated, the Oklahoma Sooners. Got the goalpost, taking a nice bath in Potter's Lake. We know the outcome of the football game, but let's talk about how the tone was set early, even before the kick even happened, with what I deem as the best flyover in Kansas athletics history. And uh, <laughs> with that, we've got two guys, two of my friends, two Jayhawks, that helped make that experience possible. We've got James Elliott. Uh, Leavenworth native, guy that I grew up with, uh, known by Sticky, who is, I don't even know if this is the right term, James, the, the, the mission coordinator, and Jared Anderson, one of the pilots of uh, the F-16 duo uh, that flew over David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium. Guys, welcome to the show, and uh, thanks for that show that you guys put on uh, there during homecoming. Absolutely. Yeah, well, let's start with the mission coordinator, because very much like in the football field, the guys on the field, the quarterbacks, they get all of the credit, all the love, all the excitement. 
but there's usually some guys behind the scenes that help make that possible. James, you're one of those guys behind the scenes. So tell us a little bit about your story, your journey as a Jayhawk, and your role that you play not only in last weekend's flyover, but in every flyover that takes place uh, at our sporting events. Yeah, so uh, I graduated from the University of Kansas in 2005. Uh, during that time, I was uh, in the Air National Guard, so I served in the Kansas Air National Guard uh, for 10 years. And as I got out, um, I'm strictly just a volunteer to assist the university uh, with a, a lot of the military efforts that we're trying to do. Um, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I try to do is is always keep the, uh, the military front of mind in terms of what we're trying to do. So uh, the key things are uh, recruiting and uh, showcasing uh, our capabilities. A lot of people don't realize that, uh, you know, those things flying around every game or, or around uh, that Lawrence area, there's local units. Um, there's local units with with local men and women that support our mission every day. And so uh, my job is just a small piece of the bigger wheel uh, that you'll learn about a little bit later on. But, uh, you know, the university has been so uh, unbelievably supportive with our mission to help promote the military and uh, the men and women that go out and fight for us every day. Well, I love that you talk about the, the bigger wheel there because it's so much more than you just hopping on a, on a radio shack, a walkie-talkie, and standing on the field and, and, and calling some, some local aircraft that might be in the area uh, to come and, and buzz the tower, so to speak. So give us a little bit more insight in terms of the detail and the coordination uh, that takes place both from uh, your military partnerships but also uh, the university as a whole to pull off something that exciting. Yeah, and I, Wayne, I, I tell you, it, it honestly starts with the military support first, um, you know, or sorry, the university support. Um, so typically how it works is we meet with KU Athletics. We look at different types of games that are that are occurring throughout the year, the big ones that we really want to make make sure, uh, you know, we can support. Obviously, one of them being, being homecoming. Um, and then what we do then is uh, we submit some documentation to the military Basically, that states, you know, hey, you know, we're, we're interested in, in, in having the flyover and we need your support. Um, the Air Force and, and every branch, to be honest, has been unwavering with their support. Um, they, they pretty much approve our mission requests um, um, when, when they come in, knowing that we're going to be focused on recruiting. And then once we get those two pieces signed, it's really trying to find a unit that can support. Um, obviously, with KU having such a, a large and successful ROTC program, we, we traditionally want to look into, um, you know, who's an alumni that can that can bring, um, you know, these types of platforms to Lawrence. But we're also not picky. Uh, we know that uh, mission comes first and we have to determine what what aircraft are available versus what aren't. And so once you get the university support, you get the paperwork support and then you just reach uh, really reach out to, to, to different squadrons um, that, that are around. And, and as you said before, you know, this is much more than just hopping in a jet and performing a flyover. Um, what you're going to hear here in a few minutes is this is this is mission tasking. There are men and women on the ground getting the jets ready. Um, there are men and women on the ground uh, recovering the jets when they land. There's tankers. There's all sorts of different training uh, principles that are used for these sorties. Um, so it's really critical and, and really hard sometimes to find that right 
find the right aircraft that, are, that would could, that could be available. Luckily, this year um, we've got some amazing KU alum that we're willing to support and uh, perform a really exciting flyover for our fans. Well, we've had mission control. Now we need to get to the star of the show, Jared Anderson, Topeka native, Shawnee Heights grad back in 2004. And before we came on in the backstage of this uh, streaming deal, I mean, as he, as he knows Wayne from time in college, but very, very excited to be with Wayne Simeon. Probably disappointed that I'm doing the intro because he has no <laughs> idea who I am, nor does he care. But Jared Anderson, one of the pilots, KU grad, so cool to have you on. Just talk about what the state of Kansas, the University of Kansas, and the ability to uh, be a part of the flyover for homecoming last weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do know who you guys are. I'm living in Miami now. I use the 810 radio app uh, to try and stay in tune with Kansas. You know, I, I moved down here for, for one year, 10 years ago, and then decided to stay. So uh, I, I definitely listen to the podcast and listen to 810 sports all the time to try and stay connected with Kansas. But but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from Topeka. Like you said, graduated in 04 um, with people like uh, Gary Woodland and Ben Martin, who uh, flew the tanker plane to get us up here and then came to KU and did Air Force ROTC there at Debt 280 um, on campus and graduated in uh, 2008, you know, the year that we won uh, the Orange Bowl in football and, and, the, um, and, the, and the national championship. I was in the student section uh, in San Antonio for the national championship win. So I've always reminisced about that year when we were both good at football and good at basketball. And I've always uh, wanted to try and do whatever I could to, to help that out. So I've uh, done a lot of flyovers over the years. Um, you know, done. I, I brought Jets back and did a Royals game in 2016. Did a Chiefs game in 2018. I've done multiple Dolphins flyovers, University of Miami flyovers, home, uh, NASCAR races at Homestead, being stationed down here uh, in the 93rd Fighter Squadron in Florida. But I'd never done a KU flyover. So when um, Sticky reached out and and said, "Hey, you know, we're we're looking at different units and trying to get some Jets up here." Uh, I told him I was interested, but as everyone knows, there's a lot going on in the world right now, and we're a combat mission-ready squadron uh, that can be deployed anywhere in the world if the four stars or the president needs us in 72 hours. So to try to get the jets all the way up from Miami, uh, we had to do it right and plan it correctly uh, and make it good training for us so that we weren't just taking you know airplanes all the way to Kansas for just a flyover. And so that's what we were able to do. Man, I love that dynamic, and it, I actually had no grid uh, of context for that, but this was so much more than just entertainment for some fans and you having a a, uh, a loyal action to your alma mater, but this was actually uh, a training uh, in preparing you guys uh, if, 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 if and when you guys possibly are called to action, which, uh, which I think is, uh, is pretty incredible. So tell us some of the other uh training opportunities that you were able to to kind of build in uh to this experience in addition to uh that awesome low and loud flyover that you gave gave the fans in the stadium yeah absolutely you know the fans just see the flyover and that's that's five or ten seconds of months of planning that goes into it and it's not saying months of planning as in like it's a bad thing it's actually all great training um i'm an f-16 mission commander i've i've been airborne with 40 50 airplanes you know simulating higher end fights, whether it's out over the, the Nellis ranges out in um, Las Vegas, where we do a lot of our high end training, or I even went to like an exercise called Maple Flag when I was a young fighter pilot in Canada, integrating with uh, the Canadian Air Force. And so I have a, 
a requirement once every year and a half to, to rehack my mission commander upgrade. And I was able to do that with this flyover. And really, it's kind of it's fun coming on the podcast and, and talking to you uh, again, Wayne and, and everybody, because it's just a pretty cool story about how this whole thing happened. So originally, it was supposed to be uh, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Jaws Meeks, uh, who was a 2000 grad and was a mentor of mine when I was in college there. Yeah, he came we back Jaws. Spoke yeah, to we met Jaws. He's awesome. Yeah, so he was a mentor of mine when I was a sophomore uh, or and junior in the Air Force ROTC program. He came back and gave us um, a presentation at the Military Science Leadership Lab that we'd have every Tuesday, like at Butick Hall, and uh, was one of the probably the first people that kind of really helped me go down that path of trying to become a fighter pilot. And so originally he was going to bring four four uh, F-16s from the San Antonio F-16 unit in Texas for this flyover, and uh, we have such a pilot shortage in the Air Force and really in the nation, even even airline pilots, which you could Google it and, and learn all about that. Uh, and, you know, if I'm mentoring any young people, I'm telling them, hey, you should go be a pilot because it's such a good career field and there's a huge pilot shortage. But I digress. And uh, Jaws was going to bring four F-16s up here from San Antonio. And I was just going to come up and be the radio guy and, and kind of see Jaws do his final flight. because He's retiring here soon. And his wing commander, new wing commander showed up down there, the person that's in charge of the whole base. And uh, she canceled all off-station training to try and increase uh, student flying production. So they want to use the jets for every single day, every, every single go of flying, every practice, if you will, to try and get more students through. And so they canceled all off-station training. And so Jaws reached out to me and said, hey, I know you want to do this someday. It's on your bucket list. I know it's crazy, but is there any way you could bring you know, a couple F-16s up from, from Homestead. And I said, man, I really don't think so. But the, uh, you know, the secretary of the Air Force and the chief of staff of the Air Force just started this new thing called ACE. And everyone knows if you, you know, famous pilots, if they shoot down five enemy aircraft in combat, they're called an ACE. The military loves its acronyms. Uh, it's not about shooting down airplanes, but it stands for Agile Combat Employment. And without getting into the classified realm, what we're trying to do, what they're trying to do is empower young uh, mission commanders, young instructor pilots like myself to kind of take a two or four jets uh, set, like, of like a, a couple jets and get a tanker plane and try to go move around as if, you know, if something were to happen, maybe in like the Indo-Pacific region and we're jumping from island to island, you know, from Guam to Japan, if that whole thing, you know, kicked off. And, um, like I said, I keep it unclassified, but the way that all works, you know, is the Air Force, we're a planning organization, right? We hope that just like a, a football team, we're practicing 24-7, 365 days a year to keep our sword sharp, and we hope we never have to use it. But being a good fighter pilot, being able to, to bring our nation's uh, military to bear uh, requires constant effort, and it's a perishable skill. So we got to train. So what I ended up doing was getting a, a – KC-135 from the 190th Air Refueling Wing in Kansas, uh, in Topeka, my hometown. And I worked with a buddy that I went to high school with and graduated in, in 04, and another KU alumni, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ben Martin. And him and I together, just as friends, planned this whole thing up. And they were able to fly their KC-135 down to Homestead, pick up our maintenance group and, uh, you know, the equipment and stuff that we needed. And then we were able to fly all the way from Miami, get gas from them integrate with the a-10s in um in kansas city 
and do some training with the A-10s there at Whiteman, the 303rd Fighter Squadron, and then land at Fours. And that was just the way up. And I don't want to talk too long, but the way home was even crazier. I just flew back yesterday. So wow. that's kind of an example of what, all, what goes into it. That's yeah. amazing. So, so much <laughs> more than just a, a five-second flyover uh, right there. And, um, and you, you use the word agility. We certainly saw some agility there uh, in your guys' skill set, which, uh, which was much appreciated. And, you know, uh, shoot, just, just hearing you talk makes me proud to, uh, to be an American. Talk about the pride that the two of you, Sticky and Mojo, have uh, just with, uh, you know, being Jayhawks and, and of course, uh, that pride is enhanced when we see uh, both our football and basketball teams playing at the highest level. I think, Mojo, I saw a picture of you on your deployment holding up a Jayhawk flag uh, in front of one of the Jets uh, that, that, that you fought. Talk about how uh, this place, the University of Kansas, can still build pride in guys like you that do incredible things every day, uh, but then also uh, build a sense of, of camaraderie even uh, in, in the units and the squadrons that you work with. Yeah, I don't know if Sticky, if you want to go first, but um, if go not, ahead, I can speak go. to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking back to last week's podcast when, uh, you know, the, the endowment discussion and, and you're talking about the new Welcome Center and just how if you've never been a Jayhawk and you walk onto campus, you just immediately feel like you're a part of a family. And from the very beginning, I felt that way as a freshman, you know, walking into the military science building on the first day back in 2004. And uh there, you know, there's a lot of ROTC units across the country. You know, to be a pilot, you got to be an officer. To be an officer, you have to have a degree. Most people think you got to go to the Air Force in Colorado Springs, and you don't. There's ROTC uh, on like 80 or 90 different campuses across the country. With that said, I have never really seen um, a group come together as much as we have. Even to this day, when that tanker from Topeka, Kansas landed at Homestead on Thursday, they gave me this patch. And the, this patch is crazy because I made this when I was a sophomore in college and I made it like way less official and it didn't look as good. And these guys landed and I hadn't seen them in 10 years. And they go, I heard you're the original maker of this patch. Here's a better one. And they gave it to me. And it's just that it's that KU mafia mentality. Whenever you're out in the Air Force and you're working with people like everything in life, a lot of it comes down to relationships. And, and I am convinced that this flyover would not have happened if it wouldn't have been for other Jayhawks that were working on the tanker. Uh, our maintenance commander is a, a KU graduate as well. Jaws is a KU graduate, Sticky's a KU grad. And it's that, that group of Jayhawks coming together and just refusing to lose. And there was all kinds of hiccups along the way and, and issues, and we didn't know if we were gonna make it. And we all just uh, made a conscious choice to, to communicate and work together and, and break down those barriers and make sure that we that we got the jets you know, there for the flyover. And, selling it as ace and, and doing that training is what allowed us to do that you know we're not just gonna take off and spend taxpayer money to just bring the jets back from miami just to do a flyover even though you could you know that's what the thunderbirds are for and recruiting and retaining the next generation of warfighters and uh, and fighter pilots is important uh so that we can keep an all-volunteer military and not have to institute a draft and and have people serve that want to serve instead of other countries around the world where you get forced into service but Tying it in and fighting with the fighting and training with the A-10s in Kansas City, getting gas with the Topeka tanker. Uh, we even ended up getting gas a third time yesterday and did a simulated air-to-air -air dogfight out over the Gulf of Mexico on the way home. Uh, that type of training uh, and working with you know KU alums and that KU mafia uh, was what what made it happen. And then 
you asked how it, how it felt too. It's pretty much just goosebumps the whole time. You know, um, my dad got me into aviation and my, I have all my family back home. They were in the stands, you know, we got, we got them tickets sticky helped me with that. And it, it was almost surreal. You know, they always ask me, what's it feel like? And I've always said, uh, you guys seen the movie avatar. Like it, honestly, it feels like, it kind of feels like avatar sometimes like you strap in the jet and you're so hyper-focused on making sure you do everything right. And you're on the right radio frequency and you're in the perfect formation for the flyover because Jaws was leading it and I was number two. And that in of itself is, is an interesting conversation on how difficult that is. But I had goosebumps the whole time. I think my adrenaline was still pumping even when we got, got back to Lawrence after driving to Lawrence. And I, I kind of just had to like stop and like take a deep breath and go, I can't believe we just did that. Like it was honestly like surreal to me to get to do it. So. Hey, one quick question about the flight. When you fly over Memorial Stadium, how long does it take you to get land in Forbes Field? It takes us about 30 minutes to, to drive there. Is that two minutes? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, I, I was telling people this before. We only showcased about like one third to maybe half of the capability of that airplane. And we're, we're trying really hard. I know it's loud and a lot of people like the noise and some people don't. And so we make sure that we don't break the sound barrier. You know, we can't break the sound barrier over over land unless we're like in certain restricted airspace and so you're really you're you're almost just holding the throttle back and the thing just wants to keep going faster uh but it took take us about two and a half three minutes and and that was us going slow with regards to how an f-16 is you know i've had i've had that f-16 up at fifty thousand feet at mach 2.05 uh over the gulf of mexico twice twice the speed of sound before so to be going 300 knots um you know, it's actually kind of slow for us. And, and we're, we're trying to be good stewards of the local community and not and not make it too loud or make it too crazy or not break out any windows, you know, by going over the sound barrier. So a couple things for you, Sticky. And I know sometimes I botch your name and now our basketball coach has taken my lead. And when we we're at practice on Friday, he, for whatever reason, blames it on me that he calls you by the wrong name. It is Sticky, not Stinky. Is that correct? That's 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 right. It's sticky. Um, despite your best efforts, Greg, it, it's yeah, it's it's sticky. And whatever, uh, I don't know what that scene is behind you. I wasn't the greatest student. Where, where where are you? Where are you sitting right now? Well, so my my basement is is kind of a mess. So I'm just using a green screen right now. But uh, it is the library because I knew that would probably attract the most flack from you. Um, yeah. So I figured I'd give you, you know, I, I know you struggle sometimes with, you know, carrying conversations. So I figured I'd give you some some good fodder to, to use. Love it. But it's, uh, man, it's been so much fun having you guys on. And, and Sticky has been such, you become such a good friend. And I know you, you grew up with Wayne, but uh, we uh, appreciate what you do, respect what you do. And thank you for everything that you do, because uh, uh, it's just it's just so cool to hear the stories. And then to hear the, you know, the the camaraderie amongst Jayhawk pilots, you know, that, that that's the coolest part for me that, you know, we have basketball teams, football teams, whatever, but you got your your flying team. And I, I thought that was just so cool that you were able to get everyone together. Yeah. And, and Greg and Wayne, I'll tell you, you know, we've been I've been doing flyovers for KU for a few years now and every squadron that visits says this was the best trip they've ever had in terms of people taking care of them. And and that goes, that speaks volumes to not only, you know, Greg, you and you and Wayne, but to KU as a whole, where um, we really embrace our success for Jayhawks. And 
um, where you can sit there and look at a guy flying an F-16 over Memorial Stadium and go, no way would that ever be me, and then find out that person is a KU alum from just up the street at, at Shawnee Heights, you know, that helps dimensionalize the whole strategy of promoting the military and helping bring our capability, skill sets, and opportunities to the front door of the university. And none of that could be possible without the, the support you all provide to our, to our men and women. So thank you. Right, well, Sticky, Sticky, you mentioned recruitment in terms of, uh, of this type of exercise. Mojo, you mentioned a, a shortage of, of pilots, man. If you find a, a plane that a 6'9 and a 6'6 guy can squeeze into, I think Greg and I may have a little bit of a career change in mind after uh, that inspiring performance and giving us a, a better glimpse into the into the details that go behind that. So we're so so thankful for that, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to have uh, several more of these as uh, we're getting ready to build that brand new stadium. I can't wait for the first flyover uh, once the Gateway Project is going to uh, to be complete. And uh, Mojo, we, we certainly love to have you back for that. Thank you so much, Absolutely. guys. Yeah, once again, thank you for all that you do. Thanks for the great stories. Thanks for being great stewards of Kansas athletics, Kansas University. Uh, I love what Mojo said about the, the Welcome Center and how important that is. And I'm I'm flattered that you watched last week's podcast with Dan Martin, but it was a it was a, a very vital one to have because we are going through a, a massive fundraise, and it's. It's not just for people here. It's for the internationally. It's everywhere. Wherever you're a Jayhawk fan, anything, whether you it's athletics, engineering, ROTC, whatever. Uh, he, he made a point of saying that the last campaign, which raised $1.6 billion, the average gift was $700, you know, and, and that's crazy. You hear us, you know, we announced the $35 million here and $25 million there and to, to just run those numbers. Again, I'm not great academically, but to average that out at $700 tells you that it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that will give to the new campaign, gave to the last campaign. And uh, again, take advantage of the Welcome Center. It is great for just families that are coming in to get an idea of where they're going to, what, what Lawrence is like, because not everybody's from Leewood or is up here all the time. You know, they're they're coming from all over the place, and we just welcomed our, our largest freshman class in our history. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you joined us today. Uh, like Wayne said, I look forward to that first flyover over the brand new stadium. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, final thoughts, Stinky and Mojo? <laughs> he had to do it, didn't he? <laughs> I had to do no, it. No, 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 just, hey, on behalf of, you know, all the men and women that put the blood, sweat, and tears into this sortie and the, the, the future sorties, thank you from the bottom of my heart to every person we interacted with that continue to interact with, whether it's you're a fan at the stadium or, or somebody at KU Athletics. Uh, it's because of you that makes this journey and this, this, uh, this environment so exciting for, for, for men and women in uniform. So thank you. Yeah, I just I, I once again just have to echo my thanks to Sticky and all the hard work he did behind the scenes um, liaising with the university and us and all the ups and downs that we went through together to make sure that this happened. And then all the rest of the people that I already thank Lieutenant Colonel Ben Martin and the 190th Area Fueling Wing in Topeka, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Jaws Meeks uh, from the San Antonio Air National Guard, 
uh, the 303rd Fighter Squadron out of Whiteman Air Force Base in Kansas City and, and all the all the war fighters there that allowed us to get good uh, similar air combat training and close air support training. And then the 42nd Fighter Wing down at Homestead Maintenance Team uh, with Major Zach Early, KU grad at the helm, that made this happen. You know, at the end of the day, it's like a football team and, and I get to go and be the quarterback and, and get to be on a podcast. But none of that would happen if it wasn't for all of those men and women behind the scenes. I think we probably touched around 100 a hundred people probably involved to get that flyover to happen. And it was really good training for me and my sword is sharp and I'm ready to go. And, and, uh, that was my training for the entire month of October that got my required seven flights for the month in that one weekend. So. So cool. Well, Wayne and I want to thank you guys for all that you do. And, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, thanks for having us. I appreciate you guys. All right. When Wayne and I come back, we'll, Dig into the Kansas-Illinois exhibition game that we had on Sunday night. This is the Jacker Podcast brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System and Black and Beach. It was late, and one of my patients was having trouble sleeping. He was feeling uneasy, he told me. I asked him, is there anything I can do to help? I'm pretty sure he's the only patient ever to ask me to dance at 2 a.m. But sometimes, being the best nurse I can be is just being the best person I can be. Welcome back to the Jayhawker Podcast. I am rolling solo this final segment as Wayne had to leave. He's got a lot of kids, a lot of uh, things to do. So I just thought it'd be good to recap our trip to Champaign, Illinois on Sunday night as we're not going to have another podcast for a week or so. And while it's still fresh in my big head, uh, went up there for a great cause. Number one, that's, that's what we all got to get to is understand that, Hey, that was for a great cause. And it was great for us to have a road game, get on a plane, see some folks up in Champaign, Bill to go back to where he spent three great years and then played against a really good team, a well-coached team, physical style defense. They had a lot of seniors. We had a lot of newcomers. They pushed us. It was physical. It was great. We showed some of the things that we we're going to struggle with, showed some of the things we're good at, what we need to work on, what we need to, to integrate with some of our bench guys. So even though we lost uh, at the end, I love what we got out of that game. I think, uh, you know, should we be the preseason number one team in the country? Who knows? Who really cares, quite honestly? Uh, and I would say that whether we won or lost. Uh, really, the, the end of that game doesn't really mean one way or not, not much to me. We're, we're a top five team. We're a top ten team. Uh, we've got all the pieces. Uh, we probably got exposed a little bit, if you want to call it that, with our shooting. Uh, only attempted 12 three-pointers, and a, two or three of those were desperations at the end of the game. So uh, really less than 10 three-pointers. So obviously got to get better in that area. Hunter Dickinson is not going to go 9 of 20 in many games. You know, that was uh, something that he struggled early. Uh, and it was it was shots he's been making all throughout practice. There was 11,000 people there in a 15,000 seat stadium they all booed him every time he touched the ball that was not a surprise uh he he sometimes uh will welcome that because of some of his things he says and he's just kind of the guy you love to hate uh we love him because he's with us but 
I get it. He's going to deal with that throughout the Big 12 and wherever we go. And obviously he embraces that. Um, he'll tell you that he needs to play better. But again, that was good for us. We learned a lot. Uh, doesn't count. Uh, but we had a nice event, went to an Illinois donor's house, saw some of the people up there that uh, Bill from his past. And it was a cool event. So, uh, and the most important part, like I started, it's about raising money for the people of Maui, a place I've been to five times for the Maui Invitational. It's near and dear to my heart and my family's heart because we've had such great times over there. The people are very, very special and they're going through an unbelievably difficult time right now. So it's something that uh, it was a great cause, hopefully raised a couple of million, maybe three. I don't know how the, the website and the phone calls went, but uh, uh, it was a really good thing to do. And both teams got a lot out of it. So we closed the book on that. We got a, a exhibition game on Wednesday night, play again the following Monday, play the, the 6th and then the 10th against Manhattan. And then the next big test, when we're really going to find out who we are, play Kentucky in Chicago in the Champions Classic. We'll also get a chance to see Duke play Michigan State. And if we're the number one team and Duke's the number two team, Kentucky's right there. Michigan State's really, really good. So it's it's a great litmus test for us. And uh, so close the book on that. Back on the practice court exhibition game tomorrow night against Fort Hayes State. And then get it going for real on the 6th. Football Saturday in Ames, Iowa against the Iowa State Cyclones. Something that uh, place that we have not performed very well. And quite honestly, over the last 10 years, I haven't performed very well anywhere. But it's different like we have Brian Borlaug. It's, it's a different mentality. Yes, we're bowl eligible. That wasn't even the goal. We knew we were going to be bowl eligible. We got six wins. Let's get nine. Let's get 10. And that all starts on Saturday. So six o'clock kick, tune in, support, and then come right back home on November 11th against Texas Tech. Another one, we're catching all of these teams at a time when early on in the year they were losing, now they're winning. Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Kansas State. So it is what it is. Uh, we got four games left, and uh, we got a great opportunity to keep playing and getting wins and getting us to a better bowl. Last year was great. Now let's get eight, nine, ten wins, and, and we still have a chance at the Big 12 title game. So it all starts on Saturday. Greg Gurley, usually joined by Wayne Simeon, had to take off, but I wanted to wrap it up. Great show today with Brian Borland, defensive coordinator for Kansas football. He was awesome. And we had Mojo and Sticky. Sometimes I mispronounce his names, uh, but James Elliott and, and Jared Anderson joined us. and Really good stuff. Talking about what all went into a flyover. It's not just like you go to Forbes Field, you get a couple of planes, you fly 20 minutes, do a flyover and go. No, it was Miami and tanking refuelers and 100 people involved. It was really cool to hear how they have to coordinate such a such a such a large event. So, once again, Jericho Podcast brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System and Black and Beach. Take ownership of your career, your future, and your success. Learn more at bv.com/careers. I am Greg Gurley. We'll be back with you with Wayne Simeon next week after football gets a win at Iowa State. Jacker Podcast, Rock Chalk.